I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome back, Cracked fans, to another edition of the Cracked Interviews Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. On today's show, we continue our College Contender Series as we sit down with the head coach of the number three team in our preseason poll. It's Baylor Men's Tennis's Michael Woodson joining us today to talk about what has been a crazy past 12 months for the Baylor program. Of course, they've had a coaching change. They have some incredible new additions to the roster, and they're a team all of us are really excited to see compete during this 2021 season. Of course, they also made one of the most shocking decisions of the I. ITA kickoff weekend draft, electing to head to Ann Arbor to take on my Wolverines in what will be a first-round matchup all of us are certain to be watching uh, when the time comes. And, you know, we talked to Coach Woodson about that decision. We talk about what it's like day in, day out in practice when you have 10, 11 guys who could legitimately be playing in the lineup, the difficult decisions he faces, who plays in each and every match. Do they, uh, you know, utilize a platoon system? Do you try and figure out pretty early on? who should be playing where, where do you do experiment versus actually allowing these players to find rhythm. It's an incredible balance Coach Woodson will have to face. And of course, you know, he faces the same conditions as every other coach. What's the schedule going to look like? Are all of your matches you have in mind going to be able to be played? How do you adjust to the various regulations? That and so much more. And then, of course, we throw him through our gauntlet of rapid fire. We, of course, meaning that Chris Hallioris, my co-host, partner in crime, joining me on this podcast for the conversation with Coach Woodson. It's one I know all of you listeners will enjoy. And before we get to that uh, talk, I just want to remind all of you listeners, of course, the reason we are able to do this, the incredible support we get from all of you, from our Patreon family, and of course, from our friends at Midwest Sports. And perhaps some of you listeners are looking to turn over a new leaf in your own game. You need a new racket, a new pair of shoes, some new clothing, just to, you know, hit the reset button and get yourself ready for a 2021 season on your own. Uh, Turn to our friend at Midwest Sports. They've got all the best brands, all the best deals in the business, all in one location, MidwestSports.com. If you have any questions, you can contact their fantastic staff. And again, you use our promo code CR15. Not only will you let them know we sent you there, you'll get 15% off all of your items a free two-day shipping on all items exceeding $75 and all purchases excuse me exceeding $75 and best of all a free can of Wilson extra duty tennis balls go to midwestsports.com use that promo code CR15 with that in mind let's get to our conversation with Baylor men's tennis head coach Michael Woodson Hey, 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Joining us on the podcast today, a returning guest here to our Crack Racket shows. Now, listeners, don't let his boyish good looks fool you. He may have the look of a 21-year-old, but this man is a ruthless killer ready to bring his talents as the head coach of the Baylor men's tennis team. It's Coach Michael Woodson. Coach, welcome back to the show. It is always a pleasure to speak with you. How are you doing today? Doing well. Appreciate you having me on as always. Oh, of course. And I should say happy holidays, happy new year to you and your family. I'm curious because, you know, I'm someone who has spent every new year's of my life with my parents. And what does that mean? I'm a huge nerd, obviously. But so I don't get particularly creative on New Year's Eve. How does the Woodson household spend their New Year's time? Well, I'm, uh, we're fortunate enough that that my wife's parents live uh, just a few doors down, um, so we'll be spending uh, New Year's with a little PF Changs and uh, <laughs> and my little girls running amok, uh, and and the four of us uh, hanging out. So uh, we'll probably be in bed before ten. Um, you know, if if the girl the girls usually stay up later than us, so uh, you know we'll be uh, you know getting them in bed probably around ten or so and. Um, you know, won't be seeing any balls drop, uh, uh, the apple drop or anything like that tonight would, would be my guess. Eh, look, uh, it's overrated. I think for me, it's Dick Clark's rocking New Year's Eve each and every night. And then they kick it over to the West Coast with Fergie. I mean, that's been a staple of my life for like six years. Uh, so anyways, that that's what I'm doing here on New Year's Eve. But of course, you bring up your daughters. I have to ask, was Santa Claus kind to the Woodson daughters? Were they naughty or nice this year? It was tough. I mean, jo- Jojo was was flirting with trouble for sure. Uh, you know, we it, it, he he considered the call, but uh, he spared her. Um, they they uh, they got uh, well rewarded for uh, for putting up with with us all year. Um, so it was a lot of fun. Uh, you know, just playing with toys, toys everywhere. You know, uh, unfortunately, some of our family members got them toys with lots of different pieces and parts, and now they're strewn across the house. Um, you know, no chance of them ever returning to normal. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's been a lot of fun, and it's been a nice balance because you know a lot of our guys didn't travel. Um, you know, uh, due to the to COVID, so we've had a lot of guys around and have had some opportunities to to do some things with them, and obviously a lot of individual training. So it's always nice to have them close and just balancing the family time with with uh the the work family yeah no i talk about your boyish good looks hopefully none of these coaches around the country will mistake that for youthful naivete because obviously you guys are on the court you've got a season coming up and we want to talk all about that on today's show but the place i want to start you know it's crazy to think i believe 2012 you were playing college tennis for valpo which really isn't that long ago and for you you know eight eight and a half nine years later whatever it be to be from that position to now head coach of this baylor men's tennis team I think we just have to start there because obviously it has been quite the journey for you how excited are you for you know the start of this season to be at the helm of what should be a really exciting Baylor team 
Yeah, I mean, it, it has been a, an amazing journey. It's been a wild ride. Um, you know, I have I have great coaches and, and great players and great family to thank. I mean, you you, you never get somewhere and in, in, into a position by yourself. I mean, it takes a village. Um, you know, my, my family has always been strong guiding me. You know, my mom um, was was an amazing influence. My dad is, is a coach and has been a, an incredible influence. I think, you know, uh, the, the older I get, the more I realize uh, how, how special of an influence and how fortunate I am to have had him and to even be working alongside him at Valpo uh, was something that, that I'll always cherish, even if I didn't quite understand it at the time. Um, you know, it's, it starts with the family. And then, I mean, we've coached Doherty, coach Canole, coach Boland. I mean, I've learned so much from each of them. Um, you know, they, they do, they have so many gifts and they had success in so many different areas, uh, in their own rights. And they're all very different, which, which really helped me a ton, uh, to learn. I was able to dive headfirst in at Valpo and, and learn through, uh, some lucky, uh, you know, lucky things breaking our way. Um, you know, the blind squirrel finding a nut a couple of times and then uh, making mistakes and, and learning from, but having the freedom to do that. Um, and, and, you know, I, I think that the players, I mean, don't get enough credit at, at Valpo. Those guys were what made the program, you know, yeah. so, so great. I mean, and it wasn't just Jeffrey and Charlie, you know, Dave Bacala, Kyle Dunn, you know, even the, the, the seniors, I, to me laid the foundation, Daniel Oaks, Lucas Walk, Brian Hickey, Michael Savaglia, the, those were the guys that got everybody excited about Valpo tennis and it, and it really, uh, snowballed into something uh, I'm, I'm super proud of um, and was so thankful to be a part of. And, and then to be able to come to Baylor, uh, you know, it's, it was awesome. Uh, it, was, it was a great opportunity. I, I thought selfishly for me that, uh, you know, it was going to be an opportunity for me and my, my girlfriend at the time to, to be able to support a family, to get married, to have kids. And, um, you know, but it, it's become so much more than that. Baylor's such a special place. Um, you know, it, it lines up my morals and values and my faith. It, it lines right up with those. And, and that's something that I wasn't even thinking about. I thought I'm going to be able to start a family. I'm going to, you know, uh, get my feet wet with international recruiting. I'm going to learn what the differences are between mid-major and, and uh, power five tennis. And it's really, uh, you know, be, become so much more than that. Um, you know, I learned uh, what a great job Coach Doherty was doing. And then, you know, Coach Canole and Coach Boland working with the same uh, group of student athletes has been a, an unbelievably rare and, um, you know, fruitful experience. I, I learned so much from those two and, and how they affect different attitudes and behaviors, how affect different student athletes. Um, and in this day and age, it's how can you relate to each individual student athlete in order to maximize their ability, especially in tennis. We just live in a different world these days. And, um, you know, the, the staff around me, the support from the family and the student athletes themselves have made this uh, such a great experience for me. And I think it's why I'm, I'm still doing it. No, absolutely. And again, uh, we are all so excited to watch your Baylor Bears play this season. I do have to ask because it would probably be malpractice if I do not. Uh, obviously, this is never the circumstance that you imagine uh, yourself finding yourself elevating to a head coaching position. But, you know, those first six months of 2020 were really a tumultuous time for the Baylor program. I mean, early on in the season, it seemed, things were so exciting, right? You get the number one recruit in the nation in Jensen coming to school. You bring back this roster 
roster just loaded with talent. And of course, you know, Coach Bolin starting to establish himself uh, at the school. It was year number two, I believe, for him. And, you know, we don't have to get into what happened with Coach Bolin because, that you know, litigating that here, it's not going to do anything. But just in general, for your program, these six months to, to go through that, to have the early season loss to Arkansas, to, you know, not maybe not have the national indoors go the way you want. And then ultimately now, you know, you turn the page. You bring in all of these phenomenal talents for this 2020-2021 season. I'm just curious for you guys, you know, how has it been in the program? How have you all managed to stick together through what could obviously be a time and a course of events that could divide a lesser team? For sure. I think you have to give a lot of credit to the to the players. Um, you know, the maturity and the professionalism and the positivity that they displayed through everything that's gone on uh, this entire year um, has been really incredible. You handle it better than I would have at, at their age um, and, and with their experience. And, you know, these young men are making decisions about their lives. You know, they're putting their lives in our hands and our staff's hands and our university's hands for, for four to five years. And for them to uh, have something like this happen with the virus getting sent home in the middle of the year, coaching changes. Some, some guys have had two coaching changes now um, to have, to have faith and, um, you know, remain positive and, and stick together as a unit to me speaks to, to them and, and their strength and um, the culture of Baylor university and what a special, special place it is. I mean, we, I was just blown away at each individual conversation I had with all the guys not just back in March, but in August, as we kind of transition into new roles, um, how well they all handled it, how excited they remained uh, to be part of, of this and, and part of our university and athletic department. So I think it says a lot about what's going on here at Baylor, um, that we're super fortunate to, to be here. Um, and yeah, I think uh, it was, you know, we had some things happened, uh, you know, in the spring that were tough. Um, but I think one thing people forget is that, you know, we had, nine guys in the spring that had never played a, a dual match for Baylor university uh, last year. And everybody just thought, well, this team is so well, we were young and we were inexperienced and um, we had, we were plagued with injuries uh, and it happens. I mean, that, that Arkansas played great in that match. Yeah. Certainly we had opportunities to win, but I didn't walk away thinking, I can't believe we lost. I thought that was a great match. I mean, Andy had his boys ready to go and, and they beat us fair and square. Uh, you know, and, and uh, I think we learned a lot from that. Uh, and I think we learned a ton from national indoors. You know, we, we had a great win over Wake Forest when we were shorthanded, but, but it was comfortable. It's at home. We are tough at home. Uh, you know, we are, it doesn't matter who goes out there. We're tough to beat at home. Um, and so I was really proud of the guys in that, but I think we got a little, uh, we got a little too excited about that and weren't really ready for national indoors. And, we really started to hit our stride as the season ended. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> uh, it, it is what it is. You know, I mean, it, without Matias, we were able, and without Jensen, we were able to beat a, a, a wildly underranked Illinois team on the road and a wildly underranked our Arizona State team on the road um, right as the season wrapped up. And I thought that the guys really started to mature. They started to toughen up. They started to be ready for the moments. And uh, young guys got experience that they they really needed. And, and some of the older guys started to step up. And, um, you know, I think it, it will serve us well in the future. Nobody wants to lose. But <laughs> I told the guys yesterday, sometimes we're 
we're thinking, Hey, this might not be the worst time to take an L, you know, because you either win or you learn. Um, and, and you just can't, you can't learn as much in victory as you do in defeat sometimes. So it's, it's really good for us to be challenged. And that's what I'm excited for this spring. I think our schedule is absolutely loaded. Um, it's, it's far and away better than any schedule I've seen as far as the, the strength, um, since, since I've been here and, um, you know, it's going to be really tough on this team, uh, to, to play day in and day out in tough situations. But if, uh, you know, from around the country, it seems like expectations are high, uh, with this squad. And, and I think if we're going to, uh, have a chance at the end, um, which I'm, I'm confident we, we will, we need to put these guys in tough situations and, uh, make things difficult and, and play the best right away in order to, uh, to be ready uh, and see where we need to go and, and how much we need to improve uh, in order to be there in April and May. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And look, 13-3 and three to end the 2020 season is not bad at all. You guys won your last five dual matches, as you mentioned. And uh, you also mentioned this. It was a young team. But heading into 2021, respectfully, that is no longer the case. You talk about high expectations, the thing that obviously matters most to Baylor Nation. You're number three in our Crack Rackets preseason poll. Good, bad, I don't know. Put it on the bulletin board. There's some material for you guys. But you look at this roster, and I apologize. I will try to curse at a minimum amount in this podcast but holy right that's the automatic reaction you're like this team can freaking play up and down the lineup you have guys with number one singles positions uh number one singles experience in some of the best conferences in the country right you bring in a guy like charlie broom who you and i have texted back and forth about and full disclosure max fligner our super producer played at dartmouth with charlie so of course i'm a little bit biased but i know what he is capable of he's a guy who's had success not just in college but on the itf future circuit as well you bring in a guy we know all too well here uh, by the name of Nick Stokowiak, who's got a really crappy brother, but is a really outstanding tennis player. And so obviously you've got Nick in the lineup as well. And then you bring back guys like Sven, Matthias, Adrian, who all have played in the top half of a lineup. You've got, you know, Furman, Finn, Bass. I mean, I could name every single member of your team on and on and on. Legitimately, you guys could probably field two top 20 teams uh, if you were just to split up your 12 guys and go half and half. That's the sort of talent you bring back. So let's get into the guys. Let's have some fun. You are at practice every single day. And again, it's not like the teams you've been around in the past were were anything poor at all. You look at that 2019 Baylor team, Coach Boland's first season, you guys were NCAA quarterfinalists. That team had a ton of talent as well. You've got Schrenner, you've got uh, Jimmy Bendek, so many talented guys, but... Being around this roster, being around this team day in, day out, I've just I've got to ask, what are the practices like? What have you seen from the guys? I know there hasn't been much fall competition, but I have to imagine. I mean, I'm going to use my imagination here. Please don't burst my bubble. I got to imagine it's pretty fun. Yeah, that's yeah, yes. It's been a lot of fun. <laughs> I, I would say, I mean, we're just very fortunate being a part of the Big Twelve. I mean, we talk about it all the time with the the three guys that have transferred in, um, in particular. I'm, I'm very, of course, I'm biased uh, that they came and chose chose Baylor, um, but I'm I'm super happy that they chose a university that gave them an opportunity to compete because they could have chosen schools that didn't play in the fall or are going to have a very reduced or canceled season in the spring. And so they were put in a tough position and it worked out for them. And I'm, I'm more pleased for them than anybody else. Um, you know, that they were able to, to maximize this opportunity, both academically and athletically. Um, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. It's such a 
great group of guys. It's such a nice mix of experience and youth and new faces that are trying to maximize their their time here. Um, they talk about it all the time. Oh, it, you know, it's one more day closer to it being over. I don't want it to end. Let's, you know, I hope we get another year of eligibility so we can all come back and do it again. And, <laughs> I mean, how can you be upset about that? I mean, you know, the guys are so happy that it's, I mean, we, we just have great practices. Um, it has nothing to do with, the, the, with me. I mean, they're just so into it and they're just eating up every little bit of information, every opportunity to train, you know, guys are just excited to be here and the young guys are just following suit. Um, you know, the, the guys, the older guys get it, they're ready and they're professional. And then the, the ones that have transferred in are just happy to be a part of it. It doesn't matter if we're doing something boring or monotonous, they're excited about it. And that changes the dynamic of the team that makes it better. And I think it's very valuable for the guys that have been here to see what it's like here at Baylor and that it's not the same everywhere. I think, you know, it's really hard for um, guys that come here to have an appreciation and a gratitude day in and day out for four or five years when you just get used to it and you don't know anything else. Um, and so for, to get fresh faces in, in a new environment, they're excited to, to be here. That changes everything for everybody. Um, and, and very fortunate. And we've been very lucky. I mean, we had some guys that played six tournaments, seven, eight tournaments in the fall. Um, so they, they competed a lot. And I would say, you know, a lot of these guys are really ready. Now we're just trying to make sure that they take a little bit of time and, and rest and, and really uh, get ready because in two weeks we play our first match. And so, um, you know, everybody's in a different position, but the level's high. I mean, you look up and down the courts and you just have full confidence that you put, you know, any of these guys at any spot and you're feeling pretty good about your chances. So, so coach, one of the one of the favorite uh, stories I had from the series we've done so far was with Coach Goldstein at Stanford. And he talked about the year where they had he and Walters and Brian and Brian, and they basically just took the top four guys, right, and said, you each get an even number of spots playing the top four. <laughs> and while I don't expect that to be the case, you legitimately – have a roster where you could have a guy play in two one week and you could, without stacking, play him at five or six the next match. I mean, that's got to be, I mean, yeah. that's got to be cause all <laughs> kinds of problems for you in putting a lineup together. Yeah, it's not going to be easy. I mean, I, I think when I, when I sat down with one of the guys uh, for lunch a few days back, he looked at me and he said the biggest thing that's going to hold us back is ego. You know, if, if we can put our egos aside, then uh, we're going to do some special things. And he was absolutely right. He's wise beyond his years. Uh, it, and we just, I mean, I got off of a meeting with the team and a, a Zoom call to, to discuss logistics. And one of the things we talked about is, is you're not going to be in a position that you're comfortable in or that you've been in before, um, most of the guys. Right. I mean, we've had, we have six guys that have spent significant time at number one singles. Well, they can't all play one this year. Um, you know, there are, we've got 13 guys that have played regularly before um, that, you know, there's only six spots on a given day in singles and six spots in doubles. And the chances are they're not, you know, some guy, a lot of guys are going to play both. So on a given day, you're going to be in a position that isn't going to be um, what you're expecting. Maybe your contact trace, maybe you test positive, maybe you get sick or injured. Um, you, you just don't know. 
you know, something could happen tomorrow and wipe out, you know, half the team, um, you know, uh, so I think it's, it's going to be able, it's going to be putting the ego aside, putting, um, you know, remaining positive, knowing your role and, and understanding that you, you need to be positive and ready at all times, regardless of your situation. Um, but yeah, we, I, I would feel very confident. I think we've got probably, between seven and nine guys, I would feel confident playing in the top two, you know, and it's just a matter of trying to figure out the best order for, for those guys at, at the time and what suits each one of them's skill set and personality. Now, is your style going to be more of a looking at, hey, just who's who's on the best form that week and that's the order? Or do you tend to also take into account, hey, here's the here's the guys we've got. Here's who we're playing coming up. And without, you know, it's not a, it's not a stack. It's a legitimate, I can play him in any order. So maybe I take advantage of, I like this guy's power versus that guy's ground game or whatever, you know, you, which is going to be more your, your kind of. That's know, a great, style. that's a great question. Um, you know, we'll see. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think in general, we're, we're going to have options. I think we're going to play the guys that are, are playing their best. Um, that are healthy and, and ready to go. And that may look different match to match. I and mean, we could play a completely different lineup Friday, Saturday, Sunday, no problem. Play 10, 11, 12 different guys. We'll, we'll be completely fine with that. I, I, will, I would say we plan to do that um, in, in a lot of cases. Um, but, you know, I think there's also something to be said for consistency and being, um, you know, as a staff and as a player, trusting your position and knowing that it's yours um, and, you know, through thick and thin. I mean, we, we can't be pulling guys when they lose, moving them down when they lose. I mean, that, that's, not, that, that's not what we're here for. You know, we believe in these guys. And if, you know, the situation suits itself, we're, gonna, we're going to make changes um, and put our uh, team as best we see fit uh, in the best position to, to have success. Um, but, you know, I think in general, you want to, you know, give guys opportunity and trust and belief because um, we truly do believe in these guys to, to go out, you know, day in and day out at, at a position and, and have success. Yeah. Now, the thing I'm hoping for most, Coach, is that you do play Wake Forest again twice at the beginning of the season. And the first match is just – and then the second match, you guys just have completely different lineups. Like, it's just absurd. Like, no one plays the same position in the first match as they do in the second match. But, no, you you talk about the lunch you had with one of your teammates, and I'm not going to ask you to give names here, but just in general, because you do bring in a lot of new guys, right? And it's, you know, something we have talked about before, even if it's a guy and, you know, there's the former Mets pitcher, R.A. Dickey, I like to refer refer to him as R-Y-A-N Dickerson and just a guy like that who may not even play this season just because of how many talented guys there are on the roster above him but you know more importantly the guys you bring back who have been a part of the Baylor program for the past three four you know three four seasons guys like Matthias Soto guys like Sven Lala guys like a Konstantin Franzen who have been staples of the Baylor lineup and you know they may find themselves, as you mentioned, their positions not as solidified as they were the past two seasons. And so what, you know, what have you seen from those guys? How have they embraced the role even, you know, because they're the guys, even though you get a couple of fifth year seniors, they're the guys who have that institutional knowledge of how to operate around Baylor. How important will their leadership be to you guys this season? 
they know, I mean, they know how important the leadership is. I mean, you, you listed three guys who've gone through multiple coaching changes um, and to, to bleed green and gold like they do um, and their commitment to this program and, and wanting to remain here as, as long as uh, the NCAA will allow them really speaks to, to Baylor and to them. Uh, and their love for the university and the leadership that they will provide um, for us. I mean, I've seen incredible growth from particularly Connie, Matias, and Sven over the last uh, few years. Um, you know, they, I would say, not necessarily natural leaders, a little bit more, uh, you know, uh, introverted, but have, have grown into phenomenal um, guys that are, are really going to take this uh, team as far as they want to go. Um, and, and, and everybody else is, is along for the ride. Um, I think, you know, we're going to get leadership. I would say Charlie Spencer and Nick, uh, particularly Spencer, uh, are natural leaders. Uh, and I think now they uh, have been here. They're not new. And I said that just recently to the team. They're not new anymore, so I expect them to lead. Um, you know, lead by example, lead through, through words. I mean, these guys make all the right decisions. Um, they all do the right things. I mean, you mentioned Ryan, um, by the way, shout out to Ari Dickey's book, wherever I wind up. If you haven't read that, it's phenomenal, <laughs> um, yeah. phenomenal book. Um, but, uh, Ryan is, I mean, he's got a great attitude out of practice every day. He's always wanting to do more extra. He's so appreciative of everything that we've got going on here and, um, is, is going to be ready to go. And I feel very confident in his ability uh, to to compete and compete well in singles or doubles wherever wherever where he's needed. Um, and I, I think you know the leadership that these guys are providing. It's they're able to look around and see. Well, gosh, Matias does this really well. Geez, Sven does this really well. Gosh, Connie is you know wow, look at how he's bringing the team together. And then it's causing other guys. It's snowballing. They're starting to step up and and find ways to lead because there's just so many mature professional guys that want to play at the next level, that want to extend this as long as possible. That you basically don't have a choice but to become mature and professional and and blend into a, a leadership role, or you're just not adding value to the team. Um, and I think that's a, a really good problem to have. Mm -hmm. And you talked about something I think that is going to linger over this season for every program, of course. It's the fact that there will be incidents where contract take tracing or someone testing positive. That's going to remove them for the lineup from two weeks. And for you looking at this season to, to have the depth that you have, and I'm sure you guys are having these conversations or maybe, you know, that's what I want to ask. Are you talking with your team like, look, more likely than not, let's just play the math. You're probably going to miss two weeks uh, during the season at at some point and just you know how do you guys prepare for that inevitable scenario I, I think you have to play it by ear I mean we you know we didn't have a single person test positive in the fall uh, I, I have to give credit to the guys for that um, you know they uh, made the necessary sacrifices to, to train and compete at the level that they wanted to and credit goes to them I think those are the conversations that we're consistently having it's not fun to talk about the fact that you're not going to be able to socialize at the level that you would normally want to that you're not going to be able to even hang out as a team I mean our preseason is going to look very different than it has in the past but I think these guys came here for a reason they have very specific and and uh, very lofty goals that we would rather make certain sacrifices right now in order to be able to give us our, ourselves a chance to achieve the goals than to have a really nice team bonding experience together uh, at the Waco Escape Room. 
you know, or on the paintball field. Um, unfortunately, we love a good escape room. We love to play some paintball, um, but this is probably not the time. Um, so we're going to get creative and do the best we can. But, uh, you know, we just talk about it all the time. Guys, you make great decisions. We're going to go as far as you are willing to take us. And you, your, every decision you make might take down two or three of your teammates. So, um, you know, you better, you better pay attention to that and how important this really is to you. Yeah, I, I just want to quickly jump in, Chris, because I know you've got some schedule questions, but I think we just found some breaking news in here. There's a Baylor paintball game. A, how do we get in on the game? B, just off the top of my head, there is no way anyone is a better paintball player than Connie Fronson. Like, I just refuse to believe it. That guy is doing somersaults out on the field and taking bullets to the chest. Like, who, you know, how, who's winning the Baylor paintball game? That's a great question. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I would say, uh, you know, Ezok's probably one of our stronger uh, paintball <laughs> players. Um, you know, he's he's big, but he's he's uh, lean and, and intelligent. So uh, he he does he does a really good job. Um, Connie is a solid paintballer. You you certainly picked it uh, well. Um, Sven is also also pretty good. I mean, you, you've got to you've got to find the balance between uh, being intelligent and and stealthy and then aggressive enough. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, I can remember back a couple of years to a guy like Carrillo Segura who would sit at the very back all the way until the game ended. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, you, you're, you're not providing a lot of value if you're standing all the way at the back and just, you know, peering <laughs> uh, around the corner, uh, hoping that your team wins. Um, but then there's, you know, our strength coaches sometimes just dart out into the middle right at the beginning and they might shoot one or two people, but then they're out in 30 seconds. And so, you know, guys like Sven, Connie, he's like, they do a fantastic job of, of striking that balance. And I would put them as the favorites, although it's, it's a lot of fun and um, certainly something I would recommend uh, for teams to do. Groskin, if we manage to get in that game, the better question is which Stokowiak takes out the other one? <laughs> I mean, they ha they have to go for each other, right? Oh, a I, would think, I would think Matt would charge and Nick would just shoot him. <laughs> <laughs> Nick would be waiting patiently back. You know, if I if I know the person, you know, Nick's waiting yeah. patiently at the back until Matt just you know runs out in front of him and he just shoots him. You know, thirty five <laughs> seconds into the game. Well, well, coach, you you mentioned at the top some of the uh, you know the, the the great schedule you had coming. I don't think it, I don't think it's been posted publicly yet, so you probably can't get into too many specifics. But I would imagine we see right a, probably a fair number, if not all, of the home and homes. Given there's only five other teams in the Big Twelve, but even if you did that, right, that's only ten matches, and you got to play more than ten matches. So I'm I'm assuming we have some other things on the schedule besides just big 12 teams this year we do plan to play other teams uh, <laughs> it, it will be a full schedule um you know yeah I, I, our schedule is going to come out on monday afternoon um but um, okay. it's it's not a secret at this point um i think we're going to fire it up right away um you know we're obviously and i know you're going to ask me about this we're going to michigan um you know, <laughs> and that's going to be a lot of fun um you know we're going to obviously play a great team in texas a m or pepperdine you know what however the chips may fall it in January, we're going to play both Texas and TCU, um, you know, which is exciting. We'll play Oklahoma um, in the second week of, of February. We'll play Texas A&M. Um, and then we're, we're going to Wake Forest and NC State. Um, and so we're, we're really excited about that trip. We've got matches against Arizona State, Arizona, Tulsa, Harvard, SMU, um, Texas A&M again. Uh, and, then our, and then our conference schedule, Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, 
Texas TCU and Texas Tech. And, and my guess is we'll probably play Texas Tech a, as well a second time. Um, you know, so it's, it's a pretty strong schedule. Yeah, I don't hear any hidden duels there, which is good for me. I don't, I don't know why you'd hide it. Just tell us. It doesn't need to be a hidden duel. It can be an out in public duel. Um, but no, I mean, you you talk about that schedule certainly, and uh, to hear you guys, you're doing the, you know, the NC State Wake Forest trip. That's has to be part of the strategy, right? It's going to be, you know, geographically based. It's like, look, we are in this area. Let's try and get as many matches from this area as we can in the moment. For, for sure. Yeah, no, we're going to we're going to take a, a trip out there It actually, you know, and, and credit to Tony and Kyle, um, you know, their the ACC schedule changed and it threw off the weekend. And the same thing happened with Steve at Texas A&M, you know, our matches that we had scheduled for some time got completely shifted because of their conference schedules and they've you know graciously worked with us to, to work it out. Um, so, you know, we're going to have a lot more midweek matches than we're used to, but um, yeah, I mean, two teams of the quality of NC state and wake forest. I mean, that's what our team needs. They need it. We need it. It's, it's great for college tennis. We're, we're excited about it. And uh, you know, and, and so we, we want to, you know, get a lot of bang for our buck when, when we can travel. And um, you know, at the same time, we're super fortunate to be able to, to be in the, the heart of Texas where, you know, we can play great teams like Texas A&M, TCU, Texas, Texas Tech, um, SMU right here, an hour and a half away. Um, so, you know, we're going to take full advantage of those opportunities to play multiple times. It just seems like the right thing to do for, for our team and, and um, you know, both safety-wise and competitively. Coach, Gruskin scoffs at the hidden duels, but if we could put you – SMU and Wake Forest together, we would need like 47 courts to play all those matches. <laughs> we play, we play, I, I'm sure Grant would be okay with me saying this. We play uh, SMU on the 18th twice. We actually play SMU twice, twice, so four times. Um, and uh, he, he requested practice courts on Sunday, the 17th. He said, and we'll be bringing our 19 players. Uh, <laughs> exactly i'm like okay we need to book out you know two hours two times in order to uh you know uh fulfill your request but yeah no we could we could certainly do that i know uh i I, I would be completely open to working something out with Tony where we play straight down the line 14 spots you know let's do it it's pretty yeah well, that would be awesome so so how about we haven't really talked yet before we get into the uh, you know Gruskin I'm sure is dying to get to the Michigan match but <laughs> but doubles coming into this year I think we talked when we had you on the in the the uh, the draft pot a, a little bit there but I mean the, the guys haven't gotten a lot of time with each other you had some great success with a team like Matthias and Charlie going and winning in Fayetteville beating some really good teams at, at a futures event there but you know I, what's do you have in your own head already a pretty good idea or are you just wide open on what's going for doubles when the guys get back in January? That's a great question. Um, you know, yeah, I mean, Charlie and, and Matias had great success in Fayetteville. Nick and Matias won regionals here. Um, you know, Sven's, yeah, I think a lot of people would agree Sven's the best doubles player in the country. Um, and so, you know, we, we've got a lot of options. I mean, it, it, Connie's 
80 and 12 in the last three years in dual matches. Um, so, you know, th there are a lot of, of, of great options here. Um, you know, Charlie obviously was a, a top 10 doubles player in his, his own right. Uh, Ryan was, was top 25, I believe last year um, with, with Matias and had some success with Adrian as well. And I mean, let's, you know, nobody should sleep on Adrian um, and, and his ability to play both in singles and doubles. Um, and so, and then you got guys like Spencer who played with Nick and as freshmen, they made it to the NCAA individuals and doubles. I mean, that was four years ago. I and mean, then they certainly have improved since then. Um, Finn Bass is a phenomenal doubles player on down the line. Our, our freshmen are actually, they, they may say they're a little bit better in doubles than they are in singles. And so for us to, uh, you know, to, to put guys and in, in slot them right now just wouldn't be fair to the depth and the talent of this team. Um, but we'll certainly look at, at chemistry, who gets along, you know, what side, um, you know, what how they gel and vibe in matches and, and what they're comfortable with. And I think I think you have to consider uh, previous and past success as a, um, you know, as what, what may come in the future. So I think we'll take a good hard look at Connie and Sven. I mean, they lost once last year. Um, you know, they've, they've had un, uh, amazing success together. They love playing together. I think that's something we'll consider. And uh, Matias seems to do quite well with everybody. So that's good. And I don't know if that's good or bad. I mean, that, that makes the decision harder. And um, you know, all these other guys are just such, such great players, both on, in singles and doubles that um, I think, you know, we're just going to have to try to, to do the best we can. I think we will uh, more likely than not try to get a couple guys together and, and stick with those just so that they can build rapport. Um, you know, and I think we'll probably have six, maybe more doubles teams that, that will just keep those guys together and they're, they're practicing and ready to go. Um, it's, it's not going to be just three, three teams. I mean, we're going to have options. So I, I would, I wouldn't be surprised if a guy was out if we just slot the number four team in because they're going to be pretty good. Mm -hmm. No, I mean – No eligibility left for Charlie Emhart, huh? <laughs> Boy, do I wish we had some some eligibility left for Charlie Emhart. I mean – Do you, though? Don't you have tough enough choices already, Coach? You know, throw Charlie in there. You, there could only be one Charlie on the team. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I would take both of these Charlies from heartbeat. Yeah, and you're not going to get better guys than 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 these two Charlies. I, and after them, I think I'm going to recruit more Charlies. It seems. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I I agree. It's I, what I would do if I were you. And this is why they don't give me the job is just be like, okay, this week Matthias is determining the lineups. Next week, Sven, you have to pick the lineup. The week after that, Connie, you have to pick it, and you just go down the line. And it's like, you think this is easy? It's not easy because, yeah, as you mentioned, a guy like Charlie, he and Dave Hornheffer, they were NCAA qualifying doubles team, and obviously Nick has had so much success as well. Connie and Sven, and you know, I I would be remiss if I didn't say. I'm probably team Will Blumberg's the best doubles player in the country, but Sven is 1B, maybe. I mean, he's right in the conversation, certainly. Uh, maybe that's a shock to our fans that I didn't say the team of Fenty and Seymour, which is clearly the best team in the country. I mean, come on, folks. Uh, but no. They're you know, a good uh, team. I will yeah, They are a very, very good team. Mm -hmm. And, and just, Will, Will can play a little doubles himself. So yeah, not too shabby. I, I might yeah. be a little bit biased, but uh, <laughs> I think, you know, it's close. Yeah. 
No, I would argue Steve Denton is probably still the best doubles player in the country, uh, but that's a conversation for another time. But no, I mean, with that in mind, yes, we can get to the elephant in the room, and uh, some of you may see this. You know, we're recording on Zoom, so if you're listening to the podcast, you're not going to see my face, but I was just so excited when I found out you guys were going to Ann Arbor. Just so excited for that decision, and of course, you guys, as you mentioned, you're going to take on the Wolverines first. Win or lose, you'll play uh, either Texas A&M or Pepperdine after that. And, you know, there was some controversy in the draft is not a point, but you had options. You could have not gone to Michigan. The board had opened up a little bit, but ultimately you make the decision to go to Ann Arbor. And again, so excited about that, Coach. Just so excited. But, you know, what ultimately led to your Bears choosing to make that decision to go to Ann Arbor and put yourself in what is objectively, in my opinion, I mean, you have three of the top 10 teams in the country. That's got to be the toughest, uh, toughest region come kickoff weekend. Yeah, no, I I would agree completely. I mean, Pepperdine is no joke themselves. I mean, I was talking to Adam afterwards. Undefeated. We were talking, you know, back and forth about our reasoning and decisions and stuff like that. I mean, one of the biggest reasons that we chose there is because of the quality of the teams. We would have, we didn't want to go somewhere that wasn't uh, loaded with with good teams. We want to go and we want to get two high quality matches, win or lose. Certainly, we are confident in our ability to get through, and, and we had to balance that. Um, but that was a, a big uh, driving force in our decision. I mean, I, we almost chose Ohio State. Um, if Tex- Texas Tech surprised me um, by, by choosing uh, Columbus, if they hadn't have, I think we would have chosen Ohio State. Um, but, uh, y- you know, I think ultimately we looked at the total body of, of what's going on there. I think, you know, we're, we are as a team familiar with that environment. We're familiar with the opponents that we're going to be coming up against, uh, tons of respect for them, know what we're getting ourselves into. Um, and I think it suits all of our guys on the team one to, you know, 14, uh, to be in that environment and ready to compete and have success. And, um, I know we're going to get the best out of, of Michigan and, and either Texas A&M or Pepperdine. And then that's really why we're going there. I, I, I want these guys, you know, with the expectations and the confidence of, of what we have making up this roster, I want them to see right away the level. I want to go out there and we're going to know, okay, are we the, are we legitimately the best team in the country? One of the best teams in the country, or what is it going to take to get there? Because we're, we're not going to be real far off the mark, but I want to know sooner rather than later uh, where we're at and what we need to do to get there. So mm-hmm. we don't want to wait and waste time and, and play a power puff schedule. Uh, we want These guys came here to play the best, and, and we want to deliver that. So that was ultimately the reason why we chose Michigan. I think uh, the stronger the region for us, the better. Mm-hmm. And that does seem like... Uh, a coaching philosophy. I mean, having followed his Virginia teams closely, talked to him a bunch. That's a Bolandism through and through, right? He was a guy who always line them up at the beginning of the season, the home and home Wake Forest, all of these. You know, I, I believe it was a few years ago when you guys came to Ann Arbor. A different on a different occasion, you play Georgia, you beat them, you beat Michigan to advance to the national indoors. Uh, again, do you, th- that decision does part of that come from also the fact that look, it's COVID nineteen. We don't know how many opportunities we're going to get to play teams like that. So take that moment when the opportunity's there for sure yeah no absolutely i mean we need to i i'm i'm so thankful that they cut the the kickoff weekend in half um because it really it it made us um get more you know it gave us an opportunity to have better matches 
Yeah. Uh, and for our team in this level, you know, in the, the position, the ranking that we were in, in last year, it made it a little bit tricky. If we had six, 15 places to choose from, maybe we're only getting one good match. If we, you know, some of those hosts won't get any good matches. Um, you know, so for us, I think we're, we're thinking we need meat on the bone. We want to load up and, and if we make it, you know, I'm confident we, we can get to national indoors certainly. Um, but if, if we don't, that's okay. I want to make sure that we come away with two really good matches for our team. Mm-hmm. Can we just agree, though, you'll let me take the team out to Rick's the night before? Is that cool with you? Because that works for me. I don't know if, if that uh, follows the, the COVID. COVID protocol. That's true. That's true. Otherwise, oh. of course. I would... yeah. All right. At a minimum, we'll bring in Mr. Spots. You'll enjoy delicious wings. Uh, best in the business. I'll give you the, the COVID-friendly tour of Ann Arbor. But yeah, of course, again, you look at that national indoors. It's actually an interesting thought uh, exercise as well because you bring out the cutting of the indoors in half. Certainly... Every match to look at, even, you know, the first round matches you have teams match, you know, that that Pepperdine versus Texas A&M is a first round match is kind of ridiculous. Obviously, Baylor, Michigan, that's kind of ridiculous. And, uh, you know, moving forward, do you think this is something that is beneficial for kickoff weekend or, you know, hopefully in non-COVID times, you'd like to see it expand back out to 64? I think uh, I think this is going to end up being the answer. You uh, think so? I I maybe that's not how it turns out, but I think that that is, um, I think that is a nice compromise between the way it was done before, which is just, you take the top 15, 16 teams from the previous year and they're just in, um, and, uh, this exciting, there's a draft and you have the the event and, um, you know, people are traveling. I, I think it gives teams like us who, who, you know, I mean, I think we probably wouldn't have been ranked 27 by the end of the year last year, but, uh, you know, in certain situations, teams have, a down year they're ranked a little bit lower and they're certainly going to be better the next year i think from 2016 to 17 baylor team was a great example we were 30 some the year before i got here we were 37 or something uh due to injuries and different issues and the next year we were three um, and we wouldn't have even made it into national indoors but we got in we went and played texas and we beat them and then beat smu and made it to national indoors and so i think you have to give some teams a chance but i think at, at what point down the line you know does does that quality and that excitement of national indoors the luster really start to fade um I, you know i was talking to some people from southern cal it's like this is the first time they've had to really have a tough uh, region, you know, to advance the national indoors because it's, it's usually not as strong. Um, that's ours last year was, was not as strong. Now it was strong because we were hurt and then some of the matches were more interesting. Um, but you know, that's, that's not why guys come here. That's not why, um, that's not what national indoors should be all about. We should, you know, the, we should earn it. It should be really the best few teams that really have a shot. Um, and I think 64 is a lot. 64 is a lot. Mm-hmm. I think it's- so, so coach, let, let's turn from indoors kind of to the, to the season. And we look at the conference and I know, you know, you've got six teams in the conference. Uh, everybody, I think kind of knows what you guys have brought in this year. We know what TCU brings back uh, a team that's kind of made in the off season, a good leap this year in Oklahoma state. They still, they bring back Botzel and they bring back, uh, Kalofsky, they get Henrik Korsgaard from Virginia Tech as a as a grad transfer, right? So so that's a big a big boost to that lineup. Uh, and then Texas, obviously Texas loses their top two. Uh, they still got some good players there. Um, you know, 
I think a lot of us are waiting to see what happens there. Anytime you lose an Edo and a SIGS guard, it's, it's not going to be easy. Right. Uh, but, uh, uh, and then Oklahoma, Texas Tech as well. What are you looking for uh, in, in the season? And, and what, I mean, what are your, obviously you guys are, the goal is to win the conference first, first and foremost. Uh, right. Yeah, no, we're certain. We certainly feel confident, um, you know, in, in our, that we'll have an opportunity. No, nowhere is easy to play and, and no team in our conference is easy to play against. Um, I, you know, I'm a, I, and I know the other coaches in the conference feel, understand that that I feel this way too I think I'm a big um, believer in home and away we should have a 10 match uh, conference schedule where it's a race and it's exciting just because every every team's good um, it can be hard in the conference schedule you go on the road it's tough you lose once and you're out of it you know I mean a couple of years ago we went and we played Oklahoma Oklahoma State on the weekend we lost both and we were done that was it for the regular season you know two matches in and um, that's, you know, they're really, really good and, and even tougher at home. So uh, I think it's uh, something that I'm excited about playing the multiple times. I know it won't, it won't be for the Big 12 championship, but I think that's good for our fan base. It's good for our players. It's good for the conference um, for us to be playing. It will build each of our rankings and our individual rankings up. So I'm a big, uh, a big fan of that. Uh, but every team is really good. I mean, Texas Tech is, is you know, they've got some real experience there up and down the lineup. Oklahoma has a ton of players um, that are all really good and, and all have good experience and some some good young players. Um, Oklahoma State is, is sneaky good. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know why nobody's talking about them. I mean, that team can <laughs> play. Um, you know, and so you've got to give all, all of these teams a ton of credit. And, and Bruce's team is really good. Uh, really talented. I, I know they lost six Garnito, obviously two of the best players in the country. Um, you know, we're certainly excited that they've moved on to other things, but I mean, they, they filled, I mean, they filled their lineup with some really, really talented players. I mean, you know, Micah is had an excellent fall season, um, you know, and, and obviously Elliot and CM are, are top, top college players uh, and then you look at you know you look at the bottom of the lineup I don't know what what he's going to do with it but guys like Chi Chi and and Jacob Bullard and Leighton Allen and um, Cleve Harper I mean these guys are good uh, you know and, and I'm sure I'm probably missing somebody Peyton Holden is is good um, you know and so all, all these guys are really talented so I, I mean I I was surprised that that I didn't see them in the top ten from you guys. To be honest, I think they're a really good team, um, and and I think you'll see them um, scoot on up the rankings as, as time goes along. Um, certainly, the the they're they're, they're a little youthful, but um, I don't think that's going to matter with the talent that they have on the team. Um, and yeah, I mean David's team is is legit. Um, you know those guys are are tough. I, he could play his lineup any way he wants. You know. I, I think that some of those guys are just as good as Alistair, but the experience and the success he's had at one, I mean, yes, he'll, he'll play one, but they've got other guys that could do quite well at one as well. Um, and so I think, you know, he's got seven, eight guys that could really play any spot. And I think for, for us, it's just going to be a matter of staying healthy. Um, everybody in the big 12, some teams have big teams. I think hopefully to an extent, our, our experience, our depth, um, will will help us um, have an opportunity to do well against these teams at the right times. It's really hard to say. Nothing would surprise me uh, in the Big 12. I think we are fortunate to host the Big 12 tournament at home this year. I think that will really help us. 
Um, you know, we, we love playing at home and um, it's, it's a great environment for the Bears. So excited for that. But I think it's, I think it's really more open than people give it credit for, especially once you get down into four, five, six. I mean, anybody could, could end up anywhere in the, in the rankings when we only play one time. Of course, it helps when you have a former Duke number one singles player in Nick Stokowiak playing six singles for you, uh, which is where we have him penciled in right now because that's going to be maybe J.C. Aragoni, Henrik Wiersholm-esque six uh, singles performance from Nick Stokowiak. Sorry, Nick, if you get mad at me. I'm just putting you at six to get Matt angry. But uh, no, you know, and, and by the way, I you know I refer to Chris as the snitch, uh, and he knows why. Uh, but you know, I won't get into our Crack Rackets deliberative rankings. I will say Texas, obviously, on the outskirts of that top 10. And I don't think there's anyone in the country outside of the Oklahoma State program who likes Oklahoma State more than Chris Halioris. So I, you know, I, I completely agree with you there. And you look at this season, and again, we don't want to take up too much of your time here on New Year's, but, you know, given the circumstances of the year there's the 500 rule right you have to be over 500 to uh to qualify for the ncaa tournament and i believe they waived it for this season though i might be yeah it was waived this season and so you know moving forward particularly you talk about the home and home for the big 12 i agree with you i think that would be an excellent way to litigate the conference especially when you have six top 30 teams at a minimum why not play each other twice and if you get beat up on those teams shouldn't be penalized for playing a tougher schedule is that a rule you would also like to see perhaps tossed to the side as well just kind of wave that because uh, you know it it almost penalizes team for teams for playing too tough of a schedule that's a loaded question yeah not me yeah, exactly i'm coming at you with my opinion that, Tell, well, you know I, I mean that's a loaded question because you know what everybody says about the 500 rule makes sense and i understand everybody wants to get rid of the 500 rule and i wants to get rid but if you are, aren't 500, the chances of you winning at all are, are not that good. So, I mean, you know, I, I, I'm not a big fan of, of changing things that the rest of the NCAA sports, you know, follow. Yeah, I mean, I think we should do what everybody else is doing. We should have an, an even playing field in that regard. And for basketball, for golf, for baseball, you have to have above a 500 record. And it, I mean, it is what it is. I think, the, the other thing that is is tough is that if we didn't have the 500 rule, we would Valpo would never play anybody ever again. That was was at this at, at a level like Baylor. We just wouldn't play, unfortunately, because um, you know, and, and that was scheduling was difficult there. And I feel like I have a special place in my heart for that type of a, a program that needs to go out and get matches against the best teams in the country for exposure, for recruiting, for just the general level, um, you know, that that would go away. If, if we didn't have to worry about the 500 rule, then we would just play all the top 10 teams would just play each other the whole year and that's it. We would never play anybody else. It would be impossible for teams to move up the rankings and really to move down the rankings. Um, you know, so I, I don't like that. Um, and I think, yeah, I, I don't know. I think, you know, we're going to beat each other. You're just – Lubbock, Texas Tech, you're not – every team is not going to go to Texas Tech and win. It's just not possible. So, if they played five home matches in the Big 12, they're going to win three or four of them. It's just a given. Uh, and so, you know, I, I think that's the type of mentality in our big in the Big 12 is it, you you see a year where we play 10 matches, teams are not going to go 10-0. and 0. 
And that's what I think is awesome about it. I mean, that's what our fans want. Our fans want to watch us play Texas and TCU and Oklahoma at home every year. Um, same thing with, with Oklahoma State and Texas Tech. And we in scheduling, you know, in the, in the middle of March, it's tough because all these schools are, uh, are playing in their conference already and we don't start conference till April. And that makes it really hard. Um, and, and it could be a huge advantage for us in recruiting and developing our players and preparing for the NCAA tournament because without naming, you know, specific schools, there are schools in each conference that really bring the schedule down. Uh, we don't have that. There is never a match where we can take it easy in the Big 12. And I think that that could be played to all of our advantages. Um, but I do understand. I get it. You know, I get that teams are going to be close to 500. I know there was a couple years ago where Texas Tech was, you know, made the finals of the Big 12 tournament and, and were ranked 27 and missed the NCAA tournament because they were below 500. You, you have to find the balance. But I do think uh, I, I worry about the split from the Power Five or the top 20 schools and the rest of the country um, if the 500 rule goes away. Yeah, I think, Grusk, with with all the due respect, the first half of the answer from Coach Whipton is total bullshit. <laughs> um, but, uh, the, the fact that a team is not, that's 500 isn't going to win the NCAA tournament, not letting them in, the Mac's not going to win the NCAA tournament. <laughs> you know, I can name 10 conferences that aren't going to win the NCAA tournament, and we give them all automatic bids. Now, the real reason, which he's right on in the second half, is if we get rid of the 500 rule, none of the power five conferences will be incented to play anybody but themselves and take almost no penalty for losing matches to good teams. And we have, you know, if we were going to do that, and I, I do think that we need to find a way to get rid of it, but at the same time, in order to do it, you have to put something in place that forces these schools to play a certain number of mid-major teams or something just so that that doesn't happen or they like he said valpo never makes the tournament unless you win the conference or and and even at that never gets to play a match even if they win the conference they don't play any of the top power five schools because nobody has any reason to play yeah you know it's not every day chris calls a coach's answer bs so i'll let you <laughs> respond there coach woodson if you have any follow-up thought i can't say that i saw that coming but i i <laughs> I think we might be talking about apples and oranges here, but um, no, I agree. I mean, I think for the for the mid-major conferences, I mean, there, there's been one uh, mid-major school that's ever won the national championship. That's Pepperdine. Um, and so, yeah, it's not necessarily easy um, to do or, or likely. Um, but I think just in general, unless we were to play a schedule, let's just take us, for example, and just play the other top 10 schools, so we play – those not you know nine teams twice or three times um if if we couldn't win more than we lost the chances of us getting all the way through the ncaa tournament and winning are slim in my yeah. opinion well it still but still makes you better deserving than number 40 getting oh, into the tournament. yeah well yes no i yeah I agree. <laughs> for sure i agree with that yeah. no i absolutely yeah. agree with that but i but i think you the idea of team the conferences having automatic qualifiers is a you have to do that it's a month. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. the Super Bowl. I mean, I when we made the NCAA tournament at Valpo, it was, I mean, it was more meaningful than a lot of the schools advancing to the semifinals of the NCAA tournament. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. all relative. Abs 
I totally agree with that. Absolutely. And you can see, again, the pipeline, how many great coaches have come from playing at a mid-major school and then continuing their career in college tennis, becoming a coach such as yourself, such as your predecessor, Coach Boland, obviously, as well, or Coach Bresky, or you can point to so many different people across the country. And, you know, that gets me to one of my final serious questions for you. But don't worry, we've got some goofball ones for you at the end as well. You know, you look at the amount of talent there is right now in college tennis, and obviously this year is a particular exception because you have all the plus one seniors who are coming back to get their senior seasons under their belt but just you know you've seen the game develop these past decades you played uh, in college tennis you've now been coaching in college tennis for these past five years it's guys like Nuno Borges, Mikhail Torbegard, Petros Rusokos, Borna Gojo, all the Virginia USC guys can go on and on and on but Obviously, at Baylor, a guy like Jimmy Bendick, who leaves school and is pretty quickly inside, I want to say, the top 400 in the ATP in doubles as well. You know, what are your thoughts on the current uh, level of college tennis? And, you know, for those, especially given all of the uncertainty with COVID, do you think there may be a prevalence, you know, uh, perhaps a resurgence as using college as a pathway for, you know, young players to eventually develop and turn to the pros? Do you think it will continue to grow? I do. I mean, I, I think it's becoming a, a very legitimate stepping stone. Um, I think one of the things that we battle, especially internationally, is this idea that uh, good tennis goes to die in college. Um, and that's just simply more and more not the case. There are more programs out here fully equipped to develop with resources, facilities, coaching, opportunity to develop these young men um, for the next level. And it's just, you know, while still getting a really high quality education, because it's not easy out on the tour at the next level. I, I know the ATP is working on it and they're, they're um, m- making steps to make it more feasible for those outside of the top 250 but uh, it's still a work in progress. And and the age of ATP players is just getting older and older and older as we understand how to take care of our bodies and, um, you know, better. And there's just more knowledge out there on, on how to do it. Um, you could play four or five years in college and still be five, six years away from your peak, um, you know, body type ready to, to you know, really excel on the tour. So it, it, to me, it makes a ton of sense to, to go to college, get your education, have your, uh, all of your training paid for, have all these opportunities, build somewhat of a ranking so that you have a, an easy transition out there and you're not spending five, six, seven years on the futures tour, which can be extremely difficult and demoralizing. Uh, so I do see it um, more and more. I think, um, you know, some programs are doing it better than others. I hope that we'll continue to, to make college tennis a, um, an asset, not a liability on college campuses, and, and that we will kind of buck this trend of, of cutting programs and um, losing opportunities for, for student athletes, uh, to, you know, high-level tennis players all over the world and, you know, on our, on our home, home turf. Um, so it, I think it's a loaded question. I think it's definitely um, trending in the right direction. You're seeing more and more players have success on the singles and doubles tours. Um, I think it will continue to, to be that way. And my hope is that, you know, schools, more and more schools around the country take tennis more and more seriously and really look to give these guys the, the um, pre-professional training experiences that they need to stop young men from uh, quitting their education and, and putting all their eggs in the, the futures tour tennis basket at 18 years old. 
Mm-hmm. No, completely agree with you. And look, as you've noticed, I am the Barbara Walters of college tennis. I like to ask the loaded questions. Uh, so, you know, I appreciate you answering them. This might be the most loaded of all of the questions, the last serious one I have for you before we get to our rapid fire and arguably the most important question I've ever asked a college tennis coach uh, on any podcast. Why is it so difficult for teams to win in Lubbock? Like, is it just you're playing in monsoon conditions? Is it something about these Texas Tech courts? Do they just, is it like, hey, here's $10 to the line judge. Don't worry. Everything's going our way. Why is it so hard to win a match? No, I'm kidding. It's It's just Lubbock. I I mean, I I like, I mean, I like going to Lubbock. I think it's a great challenge for our team. The coaches are fair. The referees are fair. Of course. Yeah, that was a joke for the record. I know. No, no, I know. I know. The, the, The crowd is tough. Um, you know, not unreasonable, but tough. So I think yeah. that helps them. Um, but it's it's the altitude, the altitude. Yeah, it's thirty two hundred feet in the high plains. Really tough. Man. Ball flies. It can be windy <laughs> and with altitude, and it's cold and sometimes it's dark, and uh, it just make that makes it tough. Um, you know, I think uh, we've had uh, the last two times we've gone, we've lost four three last match on. So um, we've had opportunities to have success there. Um, we just haven't. Um, <laughs> my experience there, but I think it's really good for uh, teams to go there and play. I know it's not everyone's favorite destination, but you know, I mean, again, these guys come to, to college to develop. I mean, they're going to play professional tournaments. They're going to play in the future in, in high altitude conditions. We need to learn and embrace that opportunity. So um, I, I do hope to have more opportunities to go there and to play teams like them or Utah or, you know, whoever uh, tends to play in a, in a different environment. Mm-hmm. University of Denver, another good example. They can constantly get really, really good wins. Interesting. Yeah, it's on my bucket list I've, to go to a Texas Tech match because I got to see in person. I'm like, what is going on? You go to Texas Tech, you go to Lubbock, you're coming out with a 4-3 result, win or loss, like at a minimum. And so certainly, yeah, that is, it, again, it's on my bucket list. But, you know, speaking of uh, some fun things we have in mind for college tennis, my bucket list, I have a list of changes. You know, Tim Russell makes his list in Latin. I make mine in bull. And so I have some suggestions for you, uh, Coach, some things I would love to see change in the college tennis world. Uh, A little bit of a rapid fire for you down the home stretch. That sound good? Sounds great. All right, Westoff, give me that rapid fire sound effect, please. All right, I apologize to some of our listeners who have heard these questions before, but I wouldn't ask them if I wasn't so determined to see these changes made. Let's start with some of the simple ones, especially, you know, again, with COVID-19, we've learned the impact on the individual season in the fall. And obviously, so many uh, individual members probably upset that they didn't have that opportunity. But something I would like to see change moving forward, put all individual events, NCAA tournament, yada, 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 all in the fall, leave all of the team stuff for the spring in my mind, it culminates with the NCAA championships being held at the Billie Jean King Stadium at the U.S. Open, a beautiful showcase for college tennis. Uh, again, loaded questions here. I say, hey, here's my case, and here's this really cool thing I have in mind. Tell me why you agree with me. But my question to you, all individuals in the fall, all team in the spring, is that something you'd be in favor for? In favor of? Before I answer, you want what to be at Billie Jean King Stadium? I want NCAA championships. I want all of it to be, uh, like all the individuals singles and doubles held at the u.s open over the course of the two weeks so you get the entire it's just an incredible showcase for college tennis you get to see all of these players they get to be exposed to the best pros in the world and you know obviously the college environment is certainly going to help i i suppose with uh at the u.s open going to be amplified i suppose uh is that something you'd be in favor of 
Uh, no, uh, because <laughs> <laughs> sorry. I mean, I no. I just think um, you know, there's too in the current environment, particularly for schools like ours, there's too many guys with professional aspirations that utilize these opportunities to play professionally. Um, you know, and I, I do think that the individual piece is something that can is still emphasized in the spring. Um, I don't I don't necessarily think it's perfect to have it right after the the team event, but there's a lot of guys that just either aren't in today's day and age aren't around uh, in the fall or aren't um, playing collegiate events in the fall. So I don't think you're necessarily getting the the best player in the country winning the events if they were played in the fall as if they were played in the spring. Um, last year's example uh, is probably a bit of an anomaly. I do think Ito was one of, if not the best players in the country. He just happened to play at a school where they play all the college tournaments and that's it. Uh, I think there's a lot of great players around the country. Blumberg's a fantastic example that he's just not playing these tournaments, you know, in, in the fall, like he, uh, he would if it was just the individuals right after the NCAA tournament. Mm-hmm. No, I, that's a really good answer. I don't think we have heard that uh, that reasoning, and I think that's very, very true. So many of these top players do want to play the home stretch challengers, home stretch futures events. I know you guys host a couple. I know you know schools across the country are as well. So I do like that answer, despite the disagreement. All right, let's go to the next fun one. In this way, you don't have to disagree with me. You can disagree with Chris Hallioris, who didn't actually come up with this suggestion, but I call it the Hallioris rule, anyways. And it's lawless lineups, and what I mean by that to encourage, uh, I suppose, you know, in the spirit of Texas Tech, upsets at home. We want these teams to have a shot, even when the number one country uh, team in the country is coming in uh, to uh, play you, uh, this idea of lawless lineups. So when the away team comes, they have to set their lineup in advance. They have to submit it to the coach, and then the home team coach can match up in whatever way he wants. And the, my thinking behind this is we get a lot more, you know, some parity in college town. It's not that it's not already there with the last of deuce points but and the no ad scoring but you know this idea of the lawless lineups is let the home coach match up with the away team however he wants give the home team that much more of an advantage yes or no yes oh that, that helps you this season right where you're just like yeah you match up with me i'm good I think, you know, I think it's okay. Um, you know, there's certainly, there's got to be some caveats to this. Um, but I, I think it's, you know, right now it's, it's a little bit tough because I think if you had uh, nationally um, chosen and paid officials that were, you know, uh, didn't work consistently anywhere in the country and you just, you know, you had a national crew every time you played, uh, I think that there needs to be some sort of an advantage. In baseball, you bat last. You know, in hockey, you match up your lines. Uh, you know, there, there, that would be kind of cool to see that. Now, I'll never forget David Roditti's answer where he said, you know, but then, you know, fans come to watch the number one players play each other. And I, I do get that. Um, you know, but at this, at, at, in some of these top, top matches, we're going to, you know, every single guy playing every other guy is a really high level. Uh, and it's very exciting. And to the average tennis fan, all of it looks really impressive. I mean, when I'm, listen, compared to my level, I'm watching them. I'm like, I don't care if the guy's <laughs> on the team. He's really, really good, you know, and that is awesome. Um, and I want to watch that. I'm a bit, you know, I'm a fan of that. And so, uh, I think that, uh, 
you know, I think that it's okay. Um, it would also stop the, the, you know, we, we are tasked with making our lineup based on order of ability. And that is extremely difficult to do and no one will ever agree with it. And so this way there's legitimately no arguing. You can basically do it in doubles now and it's fine. And I think it's fine. I mean, no yeah. one has any issues with doubles for the most part. Um, and I would say rarely do you see a team put their, their best team at one, you know, unless you really have a huge, like it's Blumberg and even shoot, we played them two years ago. He played two. <laughs> exactly. No, I mean, look at Johnston and, uh, Johnston and Seymour, uh, Johnston and Seymour, excuse me, Johnston and Styler could have easily played one doubles instead of Fenty and Seymour. It's interchangeable in the doubles lineup. I completely we agree. played Nori and Trevor Johnson. Hey, they played three. I mean, exactly. gosh, was that, was that unfair? Yeah. Nah, Cam Norris. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, it, no. I don't, you know, I mean, it'll never happen, but I, I think it's a, it would be a fun idea. Uh, we'll see about that, coach. We'll see if it'll happen or not. I'll be on the case for years. But no, um, all right. Well, then with that in mind, you talk about your own ability. Another one of my favorites. I think the coin toss is so boring. We can be so much better. So I've got two options for you. Rock, paper, scissors on every court. Because again, you know Ty Tucker's going to be like, well, I played the odds here. And 33% of the time, the Baylor team throws rocks. So we're throwing paper. Or you have the head coaches play one point at the start of the dual match. I suppose we'll allow the home team coach to serve whomever wins that point decides the serving arrangement on every court uh, can we substitute the assistant or does it have to be the head coach <laughs> it's a good question it's one we fielded before i, I, I am for me uh, naturally i would i would probably want to go uh with the the rock paper scissors because the point itself is not going to work out real well for me though i am much younger than a lot of the coaches <laughs> maybe i could extend the point long enough to until we get some cramping uh, I would just love to see the slice and dice, like the different tactical styles of all of these. Again, it would be it would be heaven for me. I also just want to sit fun. in the meeting, yeah, where they're like, okay, here's what we're doing on the rock paper scissors, guys. Like, trust me, this is our move. But yeah, no, again, all little fun things. Uh, again, just a few more for you down the home stretch here. Uh, this idea of you know, and at a place you know in Baylor, and you guys had the NCAA championships. I want to say 2015 was the last time you guys hosted in Waco, and you know, I believe you guys are six across right so it's one two three a little space in between four five six and that's pretty easy from a viewing perspective uh but there are other facilities in the country where that's not the case and so one of the things that i have in mind because i again this is purely from a fan perspective is you know it sucks when you're in an indoor facility and you have to go to the other side to see the even courts and on this side it's the odd court so you know as soon as you're down to really two maybe three matches left this idea of sort of uh conjoin or conjoin however you want to, whatever word I'm looking for here, bringing the courts next to each other so that all of the fans, all of the coaches, all of the teams can centralize in one location down the home stretch. Now, do you think that disrupts the rhythm or is that something you would be in favor of? Uh, if for sure it would disrupt the rhythm. Um, okay. I, I just I personally don't think that we should have a national championship at a facility where you can't have six courts in a row. Sure, uh, if sure. if one and six or whatever, you know, however it's set up, if they're on opposite sides of the facility, well, that, that happens. And I think you're just going to have to live with that. But the idea that you don't know what's going on on the other side um, or you can get as a fan, it's not fair. I don't, I don't think you get the real vibe of a, of a dual match unless you, it's just such a big difference. Three and three, mm-hmm. versus six straight. It's the, the whole experience is better. Mm-hmm. That one sounds like coach Woodson's with me, Alex, and that any, <laughs> any facility, any school that wants to build a facility these days should not be allowed to build it unless it's six across. That's it. Period. 
Yeah, yeah I, agree. I, I agree with that. Mm-hmm. Completely agree as well. Well, then, one of the last things I have for you, and, you know, I like to think I'm part of the on it generation in that when I was going to college tennis matches in between every serve, in between whatever you'd hear, on it or just whatever, you know, there's a little bit of chirping in between serves. There's noise being made. Now, obviously, you're not allowed to do that anymore. And, you know, there are times when it got a little dirty, when it got a little bit personal, yada, yada, yada. We don't have to get into those occasions. But they also made for some of the most incredible college tennis environments I've ever seen. I remember, I think it was Bruce Burke's last year at Michigan. Maybe it was the year after that. We were heavy underdogs to Ohio State. And we stole the doubles point from them. And it was just, it was it was because of the environment. It was because it was a rocking crowd in Ann Arbor. And, you know, one of my favorite speeches was afterwards, Ty just laying into his team. But, you know, it creates that atmosphere. It creates that environment. And so I guess my question to you, my final one, uh, bring that recklessness back. Allow the fans to get a little bit rowdy. Allow them to play a role in the match. Is that something you are a fan of? Or is it, you know, you kind of like the the balance we have now? Uh, yeah, I think, I mean, I think you need to encourage fans to come and, and enjoy it. We need to put a product out there because it is a great product and people, you know, people just don't know about it. The excitement of no ad scoring and six different matches going on at one time, the doubles points, always exciting to me, you need to do whatever you can to get them to, to come. And so to me, more, if you can go to a football game, you can make as much noise as you want. And honestly, you'll never know that person's there. But if you come to a tennis match and you get, you feel like you're actually making a difference in the, in the outcome of the match. And that is encouraging to, for fans to come back multiple times. Uh, And so I think that you've got to find that balance. I mean, you, nasty things are said at basketball games and football games and baseball games, you know, all the time. I'm not a fan of, of calling people names and, you know, doing anything out outside of uh, behaving in a respectful manner. But I think with, within the rules and, and in good faith, ha- having people cheered where they feel like they're positively influencing the home team and making a difference, giving them a, a chance to win. That's what sports and, and collegiate sports is all about. You know, and, and we want to go places. I mean, Illinois has a fantastic environment. They put on a heck of a game day. I mean, they turn the lights off and they've got the national. I mean, they've got the intro videos going. And I think that that's unbelievable. I, our guys want to go play in that. You know, that we want to go and play in a, a tough place to play with the, with the clear disadvantage from the, from the fan base and then pull out a victory. That's, I mean, those are more, in some cases, more fun than winning at home in front of 1,500 people. Um, and so I think, you know, that's, that's what it's all about. So if we can find that balance, uh, I, I'm a, in favor of, of allowing people to cheer and, um, you know, feel like they're making a difference. I will never forget. I was talking to a former player who matched up against, I'll just say my Wolverines when I was in college and afterwards I was like, Hey, do you remember this match? And he was like, yes, I remember that. I was like, yeah, that was me. You were getting mad at. And he was like, that was you. And I was like, yeah, I know it's a little less high pitched than you probably remember it being, but no, you know, don't be an a-hole, you know, don't call people names. That's rude. But if you want to chirp a little bit, you want to get into it in between serves. I have no problem with that because to your point, you know, half the fun, you go to these college tennis matches and there are stats out there. The retention rate of college tennis matches for fans is as high as any sport out there. If you can get people in the door, they will want to come back because 
you know, the doubles points, arguably the most exciting 45 minutes in any sport. It really is just so quick, so fun, so enjoyable. Uh, and yeah, it's striking that balance is so important. And of course, for, you know, the Baylor Bears this year, it's going to be striking the balance of having so much talent on the roster. And of course, uh, just trying to figure out all the pieces, who goes where, what does it look like when it's a finished product? And obviously, coach, you've got quite the project ahead of you. And I know I speak for all of us in the country when we say we are so excited to see what you do with your team with your roster obviously you know we'll be a little bit biased here uh we're always anti-stokoiak unless it's nick and you happen to have nick and so obviously we will be on the baylor bears bandwagon all season long uh obviously a huge thank you to you for taking the time to chat with us i said it'll be 40 minutes we've now doubled that mark in typical fashion so a happy holidays to you coach hope you and your family are staying safe and healthy and we so look forward. you know i look forward to taking you out to rick's again we're going out on the bar we're doing it the night before national indoors screw it you know covid protocol all of that stuff out the window when no of course not but uh look forward to seeing your team compete all season long yeah i really appreciate it thank you for everything you guys are doing for college tennis um happy new year to to both of you and and look forward to seeing you out on out on the circuit this spring it should be a lot of fun excited of course with the guys if i told you it was going to be chris and not me doing this podcast shirtless would that have shocked you when you came into the zoom was that was that a shocking development yeah i mean i didn't see this one coming but you know, you've <laughs> got to be I, i've been telling the guys you've got to be ready for change things you're not expecting positions you don't want to be in looking at chris without a shirt on not something that i signed up for but hey we just are through we keep a positive attitude uh, and and we're just ready to adapt to the environment to quote you, put the ego aside, right? That's yeah, what we've got to put do. Put the ego aside, you know. Of course. Okay. Well, as always, Coach, I'll end with Sikkim Bears, of course. Sikkim. Of course. Sikkim all day. <laughs> yeah, of course. Well, thank you so much, Coach. And again, Happy New Year to you. Happy New family. Year to you guys. Take care. Yep, you too. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. A huge thank you to Coach Woodson for taking the time to chat with Chris and I today. I believe we recorded that podcast on December 31st, and of course, he's got a fantastic young family, so for him to take the time, we really appreciate that, and of course, we wish him, his family, his team, luck and health heading into this 2021 season. Of course, if you'd like to hear more about the Baylor Bears, you can go check out the Great Shot podcast Matt, Chris, and I recorded where we give our thoughts on the team. You can go read Matt's extended thoughts on our website, crackrackets.com. Go see their promo hype video on our YouTube channel. And of course, if you've missed any of the previous episodes of our College Contender Series, you can find them all on the website, crackrackets.com, where we've also got our weekly review uh, and previews of all the action in the Pro Tour. Judson Wall writing those each and every week. David Gertler and I uh, working on our next-gen ATP 2.0 series. And of course, so 
many of those players getting in action this week. The WTA and ATP seasons kicking off in Abu Dhabi, Del Rey, and Antalya, respectively. Uh, we'll be covering that day in, day out on the mini break, and we'll be making our picks again on the Great Shot Podcast daily with our GSP Ace of the Day segment. So if you miss any of that action, you want to catch up on everything, be sure again to check out that website, crackrackets.com. You need the more immediate updates Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. We are at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly? I am at Great Shot Pod. Shout out, as always, to our super producers, Max Ligner and Daniel Westoff, for the of an editing job they do day in day out shout out again as well to our friends at midwest sports go to midwestsports.com use that promo code cr15 to let them know we sent you there but with that in mind for the wonderful baylor head coach michael woodson our super producers max fligner daniel westoff our friends at midwest sports my phenomenal co-host chris hallioris and all of us here at both cracked rackets and the tennis channel podcast network i'm your host alex gruskin you've been listening to another edition of the cracked interviews podcast stay safe stay healthy and we'll talk to you all soon. Thanks, everyone.